I wouldn't mind being in Ryan Gosling's bottom. But um, anywho, it wasn't Ryan Gosling. Definitely going to have to take that out, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> that is staying in. No! <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. Hello. Welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders, or trailblazers here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. I know what band words we have on the podcast. Go on then. Amazing. People say, that's uh, amazing. That's amazing. And yeah. And I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited for our new guest. Yeah. No. They're When they're clearly not. Nothing's amazing and we're not excited. We're not. But we're happy to be here. <laughs> Happy to be with you, Buckers. Do you think you need to say who I am? Because people might not people know who you are because you've got swipe up on your Instagram, but no one knows who I am. Get your foot off the stage. This is my show. <laughs> Get your foot off the stage. I want a drum roll and I want an intro and I want jingles. <laughs> Does, um, so I've introduced myself, Fleur Emery's The Real Work Podcast, my right-hand woman is um producer buckers oh i like he's gonna keep us on track and um this week's guest is um charlotte melia you haven't heard of her but you'll be happy that we have she's a powerhouse a serial entrepreneur single mom who started doing um kids party parties dressed as disney princesses <laughs> it's pretty much your dream isn't it fleur oh it's my worst nightmare me versus the disney company in this house oh hearts and minds i'm losing i can tell you with a five-year-old um <laughs> started off in a um secondhand let's really like really make it grimy let's make it granular she started off in a secondhand disney costume in church halls on the Isle of Wight doing um, kids' parties. And now she has an online tech business. Um, she has a an events business that's... She, she basically organises the fanciest parties in the world. Let's just, let's just lay it down. Ironically, they could, they could have made a Disney movie about her... Her life. Entrepreneurial life. Yeah, they could have. <laughs> with her on the Isle of Wight sort of yeah. spinning through the village saying there must yeah. be more than this provincial life for me. <laughs> <laughs> and there was. Indeed, there was. Yeah. Um, which is great. So what's she like? She's funny. She is. She's The way I would describe Charlotte is she's the kind of woman who I would meet at a festival and make sure I got her number so I could force my friendship on her for the rest of her life because I just want to be her friend. You just um, run towards her in a completely unboundaried way and love bomb her. Yeah, shower her with sequins and love. That's great. That's um, I feel the same way. So should we go straight into it? Let's do it. So shall I introduce you, Charlotte? Yeah, please do. <laughs> this is um, Charlotte Melia, or do you say Melia? Melia. Melia. As in, um, isn't there a genus of trees called Melia? There's also a series of hotels 
Spanish hotels. You own them? Yeah, I wish. People go, oh, wow, Amelia Hotels. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> you own now, you founded a, well, an events business, which we're going to talk about. And then in lockdown, you've done a snazzy little about turn. Snazzy. And gone online. And now you have been entertaining and occupying the kids of the nation so that their parents don't um, lose their marbles over lockdown. That's the idea, certainly. But given how long it took me to get onto this podcast, maybe I need to brush up on the old tech. On the old techers. (laughs) (laughs) Work in progress. Winding back a bit. I feel like I've known you since I was a kid, but actually we were living parallel lives very close to each other on the South Coast, weren't we? We were spiritually joined across the Solent. (laughs) You were on the Isle of Wight and um, I was in Portsmouth and we only discovered each other as as adults. Pompey. Two of not many, there's not that many sort of female tech founders in the the region. Is there? No. Well, I've not bumped into any more. Please, please do <laughs> make yourselves known. One. <laughs> yeah. No, it, was, it wasn't terribly, um, you know, forward thinking with the old tech on the Isle of Wight. They're into garlic. There's a lot of garlic farming. They export garlic to France. Yes, the garlic farm is wonderful. Does an excellent veggie breakfast. <laughs> and uh, the Braiding Waxworks Museum. I mean, that's badass. <laughs> is it still going? I think so. My my mother lived very close to the Braiding Waxworks, in fact, so I saw it regularly. We used to go there every summer holidays. That was our summer holidays. Do you know what we're talking about, Buckers? Producer Buckers is, you know, she's there. I can't not join in the conversation. It's I have rude. no idea what you're talking about. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Okay, so on the Isle of Wight, so on the Isle of Wight where Charlotte lives, one of the tourist attractions is a waxwork museum in someone's house, and um, they've got three... That's fair. <laughs> They got. They um, had about three or four waxworks in total, two of which I can remember. They were based on the traditional waxwork theme of medieval torture scenarios, and one of them was a woman being boiled alive, and she was automated to come in and out of the pot of boiling oil as the man <laughs> poked her down with a stick. Um, one of them was a man who was being punished by having his feet tied, soaked in salt water and tied to a rack to be eaten by goats. Mm, a fun day out for all the family then. It was. I think I've probably, in my um, desk, probably got some Braiding Waxworks Museum merch. <laughs> so I think you actually know more about it than I do. Because, because it's one you're of those you probably didn't go, you see. No, I didn't. And, and as you said, it does really look like it's in someone's front lounge. So I think calling it a, a tourist attraction is actually quite kind. <laughs> I was going to ask you if that's what you inspired you to uh, work for yourself. Oh, yeah, totally. I thought I want a bit of that wax action. <laughs> Do you have an entrepreneurial family, Charlotte? That's my um, stabilising question that we're going we're gonna to reorientate this conversation. Away from wax. <laughs> Do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Wax aside, yeah, I do, I do actually. So, um, my we we had very humble beginnings on the Isle of Wight. My family, I think it's safe to say, but there's there's certainly a very strong entrepreneurial spirit 
um, across both my mother and my father's side, actually. So on my father's side, my uncle um, is William Morris of William Morris Eyewear, not to be confused with the designer, William Morris, but equally as handsome and successful. Extremely posh. Uh, he is actually rather posh. He's he's like, um, he's a bit of a Hugh Grant-esque character, but a silver fox. I'm sure he won't he mind me saying. He's not available, no. They're just checking. Shame shame but um sounds delightful he is he is wonderful and um he's always been a really big inspiration to me because he he bootstrapped his business from nothing to multi-million pound turnover um and they're sold all around the world as far as australia so i worked for for rob um for (laughs) in my massive uh career of being employed i managed a full four months for him before i decided <laughs> oh, i hate working for other people it's a family business i know i was like oh rob yeah you're paying me loads of money you're giving me a free car this job's great no not for me no thank you which is just goes to show how unemployable i am so um he was certainly a big inspiration and so was my father i mean growing up my my dad was was never not working um he's a bit of a and I'm dad I'm sure you won't mind me saying this he's a bit of a Dell boy he's a bit of a geezer back in the day whatever it is he's got it oh he love him don't you think he's Facebook famous so if you check out my dad now um he was he was a DJ and then he went into the car business and now he owns a series of fashion boutiques like wedding a wedding DJ type that type of thing no cruise ships he went all around the world with uh, oh my god we know what happens on them yeah I've heard some some tales it was a a wild time I believe um so that's definitely where I get my more exuberant side you conceived on a cruise ship uh no no mum made him come up come aboard land <laughs> for me <laughs> um which brings me on to mum and mum always worked for herself when when we were growing up so mum mum brought me up um as a single parent you know, steve was off gallivanting um so i live with my mother and she she always ran pubs we we lived above a pub in Sandown on the Isle of Wight for much of my teenage years. Um, and yeah, I, I think hard work has been instilled in me from day one. Were you able to help yourself to the crisps behind the counter? Yeah, and the booze, which was great when mum would go away with her boyfriend because then I'd have gatherings with um, other 16-year-old teenagers and they could get quite fun. Slightly illegal. Oh, highly illegal. But, um, you know, it was, it was the early noughties. <laughs> it's a while ago and um did you finish school and stuff like that and go to uni are we working in the pub and i did yeah so um i am i'm the only one of my siblings to have finished school so i think i was a bit of a black sheep in in that way um but i was such a geek i absolutely loved school but i i, I mean I'd, I'd like to hope i was a cool geek my friends from school will probably say otherwise but i was the kind of geek who would bunk off all the time and have the fag behind the bike sheds, but then would get straight A's. So that I was that annoying person. Um, so I, di- I did finish school and, and I went to Royal Holloway Uni, which was great. And then I started my master's. Revisited. Oh, it was like it was like um, Hogwarts. And because I had, didn't really have any influence or anyone to call on regarding university, I didn't have a flipping clue how to go about applying. So I just went for the prettiest one, which it's is good call. It's a solid tactic. And also it's royal, of course. So that's, you know, that's a, you've got the stamp of approval from HRH. Royal, looks like Hogwarts, isn't too <laughs> far away. Yeah, I'm down. I'm in. 
I'm sold. So um, I went to Holloway, which, which was fantastic, and then um, didn't finish my master's though. Naughty, naughty well, me. You started it. Well done. Oh. And you got an undergraduate degree. I did. I got. I got to the point of the thesis, and then um, I didn't do the thesis. So that's slightly hanging over me. Oh, it was so boring, Fleur. I. Um, it was supposed to be on physical. We'll that, won't we, Buckers? Okay, okay, here we go. So I think my thesis topic was something along the lines of applying dance movement therapy for the treatment of eating disorders. Hashtag not boring. Thanks, guys. That's not boring. That's interesting. Maybe I'll write it one day. Dance, dance, dance. You could you could have just like given it in as a video in a video format well i would have done because i was i was a professional dancer um and all i did at uni really was dance but my dance teacher for my masters hated me for some reason i'm gonna call her a bit of a cowbag now um and she gave me really bad marks in my dance <laughs> classes so i don't know if that would have gone down so well that's a shame it is i, th- I, th- I think it sounds interesting mine was on the mexico city museum of anthropology damn yeah bit drier than yours i'd say yeah well at least you did yours though my my um i did do my undergrad obviously i did i did my um dissertation and and true geek style was drunk for the majority of university but got a first so i i kept kept it real that's brainy (laughs) and um did you know that you were unemployable or did you have to find that out for yourself oh no i was really delusional fleur i thought that i was highly employable um i know bless me so so many female entrepreneurs have that and you have to be go through that phase of like joining companies trying to take over when you're in an entry-level position getting in trouble and then being confused why they don't want you to be in charge of everything you know it reminds me one of my dear friends um from uni her name was kate we were talking about substance abuse one day Mm. yeah you know light topic right and um i remember me saying god strange because i've not got an addictive personality at all and she and the entire room burst out laughing and um yeah so that there was there was that level of delusion too but but back to this delusion um no I, i i did think i was employable which is why i did try and work for my uncle um that lasted four months went back to do the masters didn't complete it and then i was actually going to go into teach first which for anyone who doesn't remember or doesn't know it was a program uh what year was this about 2008 i think it's still running and at the time it was for the top two percent of red brick university graduates and a lot of Oxbridge guys. Um, and if you got onto the course, you got a teaching degree in just six weeks. You were fast tracked. You didn't have to do a degree. You got got given the teaching degree in six weeks. Bit controversial. Um, but then, with the, with the view to go into one of the worst schools um, in terms of performance in the UK, you have to them dancing. yeah yeah dance with them. Now you have to um, you had to work there for two years, min, and then either you got fast tracked to sort of deputy head head or you went to work at either Deloitte Accenture or McKinsey um, as a consultant so I got on to teach first and I was really chuffed thought god this is my dream job I'm really passionate at helping underprivileged kids um, but it was in the October I got the place and you couldn't start the course through the July and I didn't and it started a business by July 
yeah, I had, yeah, sold it. No, um, but I, I didn't have the benefit of um, having any parents to live with in London or any, um, you know, family money. You didn't have a godmother on the King's Road? No, I didn't have any cash. I was one of those poor kids. So um, as a poor kid, I had to get a job. And oh it was awful. So I started off in an optician, which I thought, well, I've sold glasses before, so clearly I can work in an optician. But I lasted four weeks there because I didn't like the way they spoke to me. And I felt they were undermining my role as receptionist. Um, and then I went through... Nightmare. You must have been a nightmare. What a pain in the ass. I know. Who brought this girl on? Um, so then I went through Pareto Law, which was, again, was supposed to be for the top salespeople, and got a job at a place called Express Vending, which sold vending machines. And I remember getting the job and saying to them, oh, bloody hell, come on, I said I wanted to be in recruitment in central London. You've sent me to the arse end of Hemel Hempstead to sell vending machines. I'm 22, give me a break. I want something sexy to talk about in a bar and poor guys. I stayed there for a whole year, um, and because I was making so much money... I then didn't go to teach first, which I don't know, call it an error, but whatever. At 22, I thought, geez, I'm making bank here. Bugger being a teacher. I'm just going to be absolutely loaded instead. You know, this is a non-swearing podcast. Is it? Yeah, there's a box on um, iTunes that you have to tick. And why on earth did you have me on? <laughs> this is You're your doing fault. The potty mouth. All right, I'll, um, I'll keep you it clean. We could have a little. Uh, we could have a little sound effect. Do you want like a boop, or do you want like a silly sound like that? Yeah. Or you could do that like that thing on The Simpsons when they put electrodes around their head and have a button, so you just get electrocuted. <laughs> every every time. time I'm going to swear, I'm going to do a radio edit version and think of another word instead. How's that? Okay. okay. How's that? Sorry, I didn't. Okay. I didn't know it wasn't sweary. Now I know I won't. Um, I should have warned you. Non-swearing is the new normal. What? You get more listeners, apparently. Really? Gosh. Because everyone's stuck at home with their progeny and they want to protect their well, ears. Well, I'm sorry to anyone, anyone I've offended thus far. It, it was all, all lighthearted, I assure you. <laughs> and um, yeah. when... It's just so funny. Thing. I just It makes me think, Charlotte, we need some kind of... Um, instead of having careers advisors, there should be... Um, uh, they should be entrepreneur scouts in school that identify entrepreneurial kids and just say, okay, just to let you know, you're one of us and um, you'll never, if you can't get a job, it's not your fault. It's because you're an entrepreneur. You just start your own. Just start your own. Don't try and work for someone else. 100%. Okay. And I know we were saying this slightly in jest, but it's something I've, I have been thinking about a lot the past year because when I was at school, anyone who did business studies was a square. It wasn't really seen as a cool thing to do. Um, and, and, and there wasn't anything to entice or incentivize, particularly females, to get into business. So I never thought it would be a path for me. I, I, I showed no interest whatsoever. And, you, you know, your story of like being in a square peg in the wrong hole. I did that for 10 years and it really actually took its toll on me, like it, on my mental health. I really couldn't understand it. I kept just, yeah, just getting sort of sacked and then. It was just really hard. I think altogether I managed probably two years in total working for other people. I did two years in the end as well. And I'm, I, I, remember, I remember very vividly when I quit Express Vending because I have to say they were unbelievable and gave me such amazing training and it's where I learned to sell. But I couldn't escape the fact that A, I was working for someone else and B, I was selling vending machines. And um, I sold this really big I think account. Having a, they're having a renaissance, you know that? 
Well, I know, darling, I sold them. Like vending machines now are the, the coolest thing in town. It's grab and go. In Courier magazine this month, there's a whole like shoot on different international vending machines. So one's in Iceland where you can get seal blubber snacks and one's in, <laughs> one's in um, other countries where you can get HRT. All kind, you can get anything in vending machines now, anything. It's, it's very cool for Corona as well because you can get your masks dispensed and your PPE. But anywho, so I, I remember one month I got a 12 grand commission check and I looked and I was 22 years old and I looked at the 12 grand commission check and I went, I don't care. So that's the day I quit. I, if I was next, I would have said, okay, and then just taken it. Done a runner. Yeah, I think but, I probably made 12 grand in my f f the whole decade of my 20s. That's thing, I was making so much money, but it, it didn't it didn't set my soul on fire. So off I went to, to go back. I thought that what I wanted to do was go back to acting. And I know that my old um, employers took the mickey out of me because they said I'd quit to become the back of a pen end of a pantomime cow and the irony was that I was indeed cast as the back end of the pantomime cow that Christmas yeah, yeah what, what what a uh, hero to zero story Who was the front end oh I don't know there were there were nobody darling Ryan Gosling <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wouldn't mind being in Ryan Gosling's bottom but um anywho it wasn't Ryan Gosling Definitely gonna have to take that out buckers <laughs> <laughs> that is staying in no. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. I don't really want to be in Ryan Gosling's buttocks. Anywho, uh, <laughs> so then um, I went back into acting, and then I fell pregnant um, because I was having too much fun on tour, and that actually is what led me to finally go it alone. So that was all the pr that was the introduction, buckers. That was just that's it. That's the run up before the interview because that's before her career is on. I was eighteen. 18 minutes. You think we need, might need to tighten that up in the next podcast? Sure. I just don't. Um, <laughs> I'll give you one sentence answer. Sorry. Sorry. I was enthralled, though. I think we leave it. Okay, let's leave it. Let's let it run. And um, I want to get to the funny story about... So you started doing kids' parties and had to dress up as a Disney character, but in a sort of highly flammable replica rip-off Disney dress. Is that where we're at? No, darling, it wasn't Disney. Um, they had more than seven points of difference, so we passed the... <laughs> That's hilarious. You had those seven points of difference so that you couldn't get sued by Disney. Yeah, for seven points of difference, and you, you can't call them Disney characters, so we never did. And that's where Dazzle and Fizz came from. All of our female characters were called Fizz, and all of the male characters were called Dazzle. So we had a pink princess called Fizz the Princess, for example. But the irony was when I... And, and apart from the seven points in, that made her different from a Disney princess, what Disney princess was she most like? Uh, we had We had all of them. So um, one that was similar to a narcoleptic princess, one that was <laughs> one that was similar to a princess with very long hair. Yeah. Towel. But when I started, I was eight months pregnant, and the first character I'd been booked to go out as was Little Bo Peep. And the irony was not lost on me that I was ginormous Bo Peep. So you were knocked up seven points of difference, Mo Peep, on the Isle of Wight doing children's parties instead of trousering 12 G's a month. Yeah, I was absolutely killing it. I was making 100 quid a day. I mean, G's. Woo, make it rain. <laughs> <laughs> <And when laughs> turning up 
pregnant as little Bo Peep to a kid's party. It's kind of like something out of a Mike Lee film, though, isn't it? I mean, did how did it go it down? It would have been if I was smoking a fag at the same time. <laughs> Just really bad-tempered with the kids <laughs> Yeah, well. stinking of alcohol. Um, no, thankfully, the, the kids didn't really care. The, the, the one that was slightly dodgier was my first day back at work after having my son, um, which was nine days after he was born. And, oh yeah, God. to anyone who's had a baby... Um, don't do that. Just don't do that, guys. You, you can't jump up and down, put it that way. So um, I had to have a body who come who came with me for the jumping and then i breastfed my my nine-day-old baby in the public toilet next door in the lunch break we've all done it babe we've all been there yeah so that was slightly dodgier i think <laughs> and there something happened between this and the big call that turned the dial up that took you on a plane Yes. To discuss. How did that come about? How did that call come? So I, I received a random email on a Sunday afternoon and it was very innocuous. It said... Uh, have you heard the story? Have you heard I the story, well, I've I've heard... I've heard bits of what you've said, but I've heard that, um, that Charlotte tells it very well. So I'm looking forward to this. It's so good. Everyone's a winner. Go. The mic's yours. Thanks. Um, so I got this innocuous email on a Sunday afternoon saying, my client would like a party overseas. Can you do it? Can we just say that everything is overseas if you live in the Isle of Wight? Can True. We? It was on the mainland. I thought, God, I can't leave the <laughs> island. Um, so I put on my detective's hat and thought, well, hang on, this is coming to me at whatever time it was on a Sunday afternoon. Who would possibly be emailing me now? And I deduced it was likely to be the UAE because Sunday is their Monday. It's not a weekend. And when I checked out the time difference, it was about five past nine in the morning. I thought, oh, okay, this sounds like a UAE PA. So I responded straight away, much to my first husband's dismay. Um, more on that later. And um, to cut a long story short, it ended up being for the one of the Shakers in Dubai. And we had nine days from conception to completion to deliver a six-figure-plus children's party in the middle of the desert. And everything that could have possibly gone wrong did go wrong. But we delivered it. It was fantastic. Um, huge success. And there's still a client today. So I think that was a turning point. It made me think, oh, maybe I'm okay at this. Oh, my gosh. Imagine. Tell me the bit about when you were discussing the price. Oh, yeah, that happened. So be before, um, before we got the job, I had 12 hours notice that I had to fly out to meet the principal. How much had you been billing a party for up until this oh, point? Oh, I, I, I do remember, actually. The highest bill I'd had until this point was a 10 grand party, which okay. I thought was... Oof. And so these people fly you out there to discuss yep. that? Or did you just... Yeah, so you fly out on a plane from um, Shanklin Airport. <laughs> or London Heathrow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to Dubai. You arrive there, you have to act completely natural and cool like this is completely normal for you which was hard considering no one picked me up the other side so I'd had no sleep and I was delirious and slightly convinced I was going to get murdered and this was all actually a ruse to kill me why anyone would want to kill me I don't know um but by the time I finally got to the palace I, I'd been awake for about 36 hours and I was so confused and I remember saying okay great I'll, um, I'm gonna go to sleep now and I'll see you in a bit and they're like no 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 it's time to meet the queen and I was like oh god no <laughs> make it stop so I was like splashing water on my face uncontrollably went into this palace and um I had a seven hour meeting with with the principal and all her people 
and it was fun. Like we had Starbucks delivered throughout the meeting. It was actually pretty cool. Uh, but then it got to the point of the pricing and they'd been showing me all their previous parties um, from years, years before, and they were world-class. You're talking top, top, top events. And I was thinking, Christ, this is, this is serious stuff. I don't know how to price this. Yeah. Um, and then one of the principal's people said, okay, so what is the price for you? And I thought, well, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to go hard, go in for a big number. I said, um, well, you know, hard to say, but it'll be around 40 grand. And she looked me in the eye and said, for which part? And at this point I knew this was the do or die moment. So I looked her back in the eye and I said, that's my consultancy fee. And I got the dog. Yes! <laughs> she shoots. She scores. So, so then I realized 40 grand wasn't very much for an international party of that size. Um, and thankfully we, we resolved, we resolved the pricing. Wow. What, what was, what was the party? Like how can a party be, is it just very expensive food and balloons and? Uh, yeah. When you get to the, drafts. uh, we didn't have drafts at this one, but I have had drafts. Uh, they, the principal had their own zoo on site, so we didn't need to bring any other animals on. Um, but when you get to a six figure party, uh, you can pretty much do anything. It's, it's immersive. So you can build any world that the client requires and enjoy that world for the time. Do you love it? I do. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. And I, uh, it's difficult Fleur, because everyone thinks with our events business, it's all flash and it's all really high end and expensive. But actually, kids are kids and parents are parents. And all they want is to have a great day together. And that I always cry at the cake cutting every time I'm an absolute sucker because the mums and dads are kissing the kids and, oh, it's so adorable. So I love that side of it. And I come from an acting background. So I also love making really cool bits of theatre. That's a, that sounds like a great motivation. The, um, when you go up to that strata, you leave us earthbound party hosts behind and your client your clientele is this sort of the people we see in magazines is that right yeah so we look after all the top celebs and socialites and it's called ultra high net worth individuals so those of billion dollar um net worth and above so yeah we meet some really cool people next question is what buckers who I'm under NDA, you guys. You know I am. But I can, I can tell you the ones I'm not under, under NDA for. Um, so I look after really, really lovely celebrities um, like Alicia Dixon and Amanda Holden. They are two of the nicest human beings on the planet. So they're amazing clients. Apart from us too. Oh, obviously. <laughs> Goes without saying. Um, I love Alicia Dixon's laugh. She's got the best laugh in the world. But you know, they're both that kind in real life. They're such lovely people. Um, so they've become clients and friends, and we look after a lot of royals. I've been mistaken for Amanda Holden. I thought you were going to say for Alicia Dixon then. <laughs> I, don't, I don't look like either of them. No, Amanda Holden's so incredibly like fit and lithe, isn't she? She's approaching middle age with the physique of a ballerina. I don't know how she does it. Both of their physiques are outrageous. And this is actually something that, working in, in the world that I do, I feel like the constant fat friend. Oh, everyone, everyone's so beautiful and slim. No negative self self talk. Yeah, but they're they're not. They're... It's okay. I'm the funny one. I'll take it. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. And also, you're the successful one because actually that business just 
I mean, that just took a big step up, but it absolutely flew. Yeah, it, it was a great business pre, pre-COVID. pre um, Yeah, that's the thing when you take the needle off the record. So she's just gone from printing cash, A-list parties, growth, 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 and then the needle comes off the record, parties are banned. What happened? Yeah, so um, it, it ripped the business apart, Fleur, overnight. We were 95% down month on month for our revenue i had to sack nearly all of the team make them redundant because there was no work and it was bloody heartbreaking you know i I had i had team members who just lost very close family members and just got massive mortgages who i was then having to turn around to and make redundant It, it was heartbreaking um and yeah it did feel like this thing i'd been building for the best part of a decade had now been ripped away overnight. And uh, there was some dark, there was a moment I stood in the warehouse and just burst into tears in about April last year and thought, what what was I doing? Had we, you still fully owning that business or was it, was it finance and did you have like investors on Dazzle and Fizz? So we'd actually closed our pre-seed investment round a couple of months prior to, to COVID. So myself and my business partner, Christy, we were still very much majority shareholders, um, but we had five other investor shareholders in the in the business. So that was another thing. I felt this tremendous guilt that these people had just invested in my business and now there was no bloody business to talk of and I, I did feel horribly guilty um, even though it's your fault that covid happened no but I, I couldn't shake it and i remember phoning my chairman saying i can't let all these people down like if it was just me who went bankrupt all right fine so be it i'll start something else but i did feel this great responsibility that five people had trusted in me and i didn't want to let them down and i think in terms of what we learn from that i feel like it's to do with our responsibility around who we, in, you know, who we take investment from, and are they fully cognizant of what investment means and the risks involved? So it's not just like our auntie Nora putting her um, retirement money in, who doesn't really think she can get it back. Definitely, but as long as they're professional investors. that that helps in a situation like that when something like that happens because then you can have a grown-up conversation with them and say look this is what's happened you know do you want the rest of the money back do do we plow on do we um do we change so you had to face those decisions at that point yeah and and i know ultimately no one would have blamed me but i still couldn't shake that feeling because i thought no come on you're ceo like this is your job to steer the ship through the storm um so very quickly i started to think of ways that we would become viable and relevant in the the current climate and if we can remember back to march april last year i think the general consensus in the uk was that this thing was going to last three months four months everything would be back to normal by september anyway but but still even with that feeling i thought but you don't know this this has gone to show this has shown me you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow so i thought all i can do is deal with the situation in front of me and the situation is people can't be together so what can i do so we started to experiment with taking the entertainment and the theater online and under the under the brand of dazzle and fizz we called it vesta by Dazzle and Fizz, but we certainly leveraged and utilized our existing client base to get the initial early adopters and get the feelers out there. And the message was on a newsletter, we can't do a party for you, but we can, you know, bring this into your home. And then there was just various options that they could buy into. 
Uh, yeah, it was it was a subscription based model. So um, you paid a monthly subscription, and then you were open to a range of of activities, all of which were holistic. Um, but we started off at a very high price point. I'll be honest, because we didn't we didn't really know how to sell outside of our bracket, and we've only ever really sold ultra high net worth. So for the first few months, we were we were way off the mark in terms of pricing. That's when we first met, when you were looking at modeling it like that. Yeah. And the difficulty with that is you're then selling one membership at a time, right? Exactly, which, which I found to just be so labor intensive and not at all scalable. So then I started thinking and, and watching the news and seeing the research that was coming out, and it became clear to me that the biggest impact this was having was on working parents or one of the biggest impacts was on working parents. So we decided to niche down and make this a B2B to C product, which would be sold direct into corporates. And Can they would buy what those word letters mean to people who don't know that expression. Yeah, for sure. So rather than selling D to C, which is direct to consumer, i.e. me selling to you, John Public, we're then selling B2B to C business to business to consumer, i.e. Uh, say, I don't know, Facebook want to work with Vesta, Facebook buy 100 memberships on behalf of their client, on behalf of their staff, the staff can then utilize them. So the, the parent worker is still the end user, but the corporate pays. So what you do then is you're selling way more in one meeting, you can sell way more than one membership precisely you can scale up faster and also the reason why that was a neat solution i remember liking it when you're telling me at the time about that change of direction is that all the people all the workers who'd been furloughed or sent home to work had all their perks of you know their ping pong tables and their um, gym memberships and their yoga at work all of that had gone away and so businesses were trying to address the mental health needs of their staff at home. And you solved that problem for them. Absolutely. And if you haven't worked for a big, particularly a tech company or a big corporate, it's hard to imagine how many benefits they do have in-house. But if you're looking at some of the, the big global tech leaders, every single meal is free. Every snack is free. I've worked in companies where even like if you need a new QWERTY keyboard, it's free in the vending machine, back to vending machines. Um, so for, for a staff member to have gone from that to literally having nothing at home, it was quite a big shock. So um, what is the business model in terms of the relationship between Dazzle and Fizz and Vesta? This is very un-VC-like um, because we did we did keep Dazzle and Fizz alive and Dazzle and Fizz is still very much going. So in terms of corporate structure, Dazzle and Fizz is the limited company and it owns a series of products of which Vesta is one. Yeah, because there's also now one year in, Charlotte, you just brilliantly got that plate spinning because Vesta's now doing really well. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but just as that's happening the world might get switched back on again. And there's all this talk about when lockdown finishes that we all might just turn into hedonists and go bananas. And apparently we've saved a load of money that we're going to spend on parties. What do you reckon? Well, 
Well, that would be the dream. I'm hoping there's some sort of roaring 20s revival and I'm there for it. Um, but the, the great thing about Dazzle and Fizz is it has been established over, over the best part of 10 years. So the formula for the events is very much tried and tested. We know how to run that business to the point where we know precisely how many staff can, can physically manage however many events. So my management team are, are there ready to step back in to run that company. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, to CEOing the whole group, but to give my time and attention for now to Vesta. It's impressive, isn't it, Buckers? What do you think? It's just such a great story. Mind blown. It's good, isn't it? I would also really like to attend one of these parties, but a little bit out of my <laughs> price range. We do, we do a free one every year. Do you Buckers. really? We do every year. So it's, it's a, a bit of a client outreach and to say thank you to our clients for, you know, sticking with us. And they do. We've got a 90% client retention, which for events is pretty wild. Um, so we always put on one free party a year to thank our special clients to, I'll be honest, invite people who would like to be our special clients um, <laughs> and to say to say thank you to people who we've worked with. So we'll get you on the guest list for next time. Oh, flush. Let's go. In my imagination, I'm thinking of um, that scene in The Great Gatsby. Yeah, that but, but remember, it's kids, so <laughs> it's all very, it's very squeaky clean. <laughs> Nothing wild happens at our parties, well, apart from too much sugar sometimes. But um, animals, props. Let's have we before we finish. Let's have a bit of prop chat. Talk us Ooh. about the props that you've um, come up with for your parties. Crazy props. Uh, well, you mentioned giraffes earlier. We have got a um, a life size giraffe and a baby giraffe. That's quite fun. Are they in your uh, house? No, no, no. We have a warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, the rocket is always a favourite. We've got a sort of miniature rocket that you can climb in and have a photograph taken. It's pretty cool. Um, castles and you know anything you can imagine, really. Do you miss? that you know the assembly the theatrical build side well i never really got involved with the production that's my business partner who runs that side of things because i can't really draw a stick man that is not my special skill um but what i loved the most is seeing it all come together and then seeing how the guests responded to it that was always my favorite bit when you see them walk in at the beginning and their faces are like oh wow that's the bit where my heart would beat a bit faster so I, I do really miss that and on a personal on the on a behind the scene you're such you have so much energy charlotte it's just so lovely to talk to you i i feel like you're a natural entrepreneur like you make you do make it look and sound easy and i know it's not but behind the scenes what's life like for you in lockdown what's that what's your pandemic been like personally uh, it's been emotional, not going to lie. So I have, I'm have i a single mum to a 10-year-old, nearly 10-year-old boy who has severe autism spectrum disorder with path pathological demand avoidance, which is a rare type of autism, which basically means he can't be told anything, can't tell him what to do. He just dances to the beat of his own drum um, and can have very violent outbursts, but thankfully they, they are becoming fewer and far between. So... That's been challenging. He's obviously and things in his world that he would have been relying on will have stopped doing. Yeah, pandemic. school was taken away all of 2020, which was very upsetting for him. Uh, thankfully, he is back in school now, which is which is fantastic. So that was challenging. Um, 
we mentioned earlier marriage one i am going through divorce number two hurrah right now so um that happened uh, just after the first lockdown um my husband walked out so yeah that's that's been something to to deal with and i'm moving house in a couple of weeks it's um it's all go how do you um how do you stay mentally well like and on buoyant with all of that pressure it, it's been a learning curve and i i don't think i have always dealt with it very well at all what my past traits were when i was younger is i would be i think this is like called toxic positivity i would be very very positive outwardly but i would beat myself up inside internally and this displayed itself in eating disorders i was anorexic in my early 20s oh, sorry to hear that yeah thank you but i'm completely recovered now um so i do feel very lucky there and other mental health issues throughout my 20s um but one thing that divorce number two has done for me i think it was the final shining light which showed me for goodness sake you're doing your best be kind to yourself you're doing a really good job your kids happy your family love you your friends love you just just take a step back and i started meditating every day which i do religiously do you yeah every single night before bed well without fail i can't sleep now otherwise it's become part of my routine and ritual. So, do you have an app or something, or do you just sit and do it yourself? Uh, I have an app. Yeah, two apps, depending on what mood I'm in. So, I either use Calm or Headspace at the moment. Um, yeah, they're really popular, those ones. Yeah, love I love them. Really into that. Um, and worked with a private meditation tutor as well throughout the year. So, that's helped me. But, is it Matthew McConaughey? Oh, yeah, his ones are great. Hi, I'm Matthew McConaughey. I read about those in Curry Magazine this month. His her voice, you know, Matthew McConaughey, the actor, fuckers. He he re, what does he he reads a story on it, doesn't he? He does sleep stories oh, on. I calm. just love his voice. Yeah. Get you all tucked up with him, buckers. Oh yes, please. It is lovely, <laughs> but I think I think to be honest, there hasn't been any other than the meditating. I can't say there's been any massive physical change. It's been purely a mental change of me finally deciding to give myself a break. Um, and that's been really transformational. I think for me, there's so many, <clears throat> there's so much in language about how we speak to ourselves that we can sort of learn. I, I've definitely just through sort of discipline and keeping on trying have learned to talk to myself in a completely different way. It's interesting where you said, just sort of saying, <clears throat> Blair, you're doing your best. It's just like, sometimes I'm, maybe I'm not even doing my best. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing what I'm doing. You know, I think there's this kind of thing of like, <clears throat> women are just, we're all doing our best. We're being the best possible version. I don't think we are all the time. Sometimes I literally let myself down. Sometimes I'm not that nice. Sometimes I'm a bit messy, a bit lazy. But, you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing. I'm just a person. I kind of like to really soften down the expectations. But I think that is doing your best. And that's how I interpret it. Like, hmm. it doesn't matter if I muck up. Well, you know, as long as, yeah, as, long as, just, as long as you are, you know, as long as you're a kind, decent person, you're going to make mistakes. And well, but even if you're not, as well, like my point is, okay. even if you're not, like, because I think there's that, that thing about as long as you're kind. We're not all kind, are we, all the time? Like, we try and be kind. That's our kind of North Star. We try and act in a way that's kind and it's not self-seeking but not we're not always it's just like we're people we go up and down right we fluctuate in our behavior and sometimes i i notice it just as i get older i think some of the stuff you're talking about is kind of growing up stuff yeah because I, it's just 
I look at when I was young, I was so sure about everything. You are this. I am this. They are this. You know, I'm not like them because I'm not like I kind of feel like all of that has blurred a lot as I sort of approach middle age. And a lot of the things that I was so sure about when I was young, I'm a lot less sure about like situations take on a, a different you know, I see it in a different light as I get older. There's a lot of people who I haven't seen since I was younger. And if I saw them now, I would have a different opinion. I'd say, you know, I really gave you a hard time about that, but I don't see it that way. I see what you were, you know, what was happening for you then. That's really interesting feedback. It's, I, I turned 35 a couple of weeks ago, and it was something that I've been thinking about a lot in the build up to my birthday. Because when I started Dazzle and Fizz, I was 24. Like, what does a 20, well, so I can't speak for other 24 year olds, but me at 24. Some of them are I certainly wasn't. I, I, was I like, wasn't. I was in victim mode. I felt like the world owed me something. You know, I was not mature at all. Then. But this, I thought I was. Like, I thought I was, you know, an adult from about the age of 12. Um, I had my braces taken off when I was 13 so I could go to nightclubs. I was always trying to be older than I was. And upon reflection, I was so immature. And that's probably why then negative behaviours played out, such as eating disorders. Um, and and I've, I think I've, I've started to realise that I've taken a long time to mature and maybe that's okay. That's just me. Yeah, definitely. I was a really slow, I grew up really slowly. My goddaughters, God, she's just had so much self-awareness from such a young age. And it was, it's been really interesting watching her grow up and me saying, yeah, you know, when I was your age, this is what I was like, you know, and describing how sort of my, I had no sort of wider perspective other than my own interests, you know, for a long time. And I feel like as I get older, it's a relief to, to sort of, to see that there's you know that I don't hold strong opinions about a lot of people so for example that's been highlighted in the pandemic and there's a lot of people who have come up on um, social media in the press and you know people who I know and they'll be saying um, oh you know these people have broken lockdown or because they've done that you know because these young people have gone and done that we're all you know put our lives at risk at NHS I don't really feel like that I, I feel like maybe I would have done that when I was that age you know it's easy for me to stay at home because I've got my kid and I've been to 10 million parties in my life and I've, you know, had lots of adventures and I've traveled the world. So it's easy for me to, and I've got a garden, I live by the sea. It's easy for me to stay at home. I've got everything I need right here. And if I was, you know, I don't know what I'd do in their situation. Sure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it just, it just kind of softens everything. And I find that the more I do that, the more I can extend that to myself yeah that makes sense that completely makes yeah. sense if you practice doing it to other people i feel like it comes back on ourself more look at buck as how fresh and alert she looks like a little she looks like a little fawn with her nostrils flaring in the dappled light she doesn't know <laughs> all of this wisdom is to come <laughs> from us old birds i feel priv i feel privileged to be party to this advice a privilege <laughs> well of course now Fleur, i am working in the tech field i feel veritably ancient at, at the right point age of 35 i'm now a tech founder by accident and you're walking ahead of me you're going to have to be my guide along that path what's the world of what's the world of tech like for a woman well firstly you can only speak in acronyms i've learned that about tech no one speaks in sentences yeah. anymore that's key so i've had to learn a lot of acronyms um oh, I like that. Oh, as long as you learn them it's kind of fine um but one thing i have really loved is i love the innovation 
in the space. And even though you don't necessarily understand all of it, it's so exciting all of the time and spunky and fast paced. And you realize actually how many people there are out there who are trying to do good in the world. And the more to other tech founders you meet, we're all trying to do cool stuff that we actually really super care about. So for me, who's come from an events background, it is lovely to do something that I know will be having a very different impact to my previous career. Um, and that's maybe something I didn't anticipate moving in tech. At first, I was so intimidated. I couldn't speak to anyone. I thought they were all so smart and I was so, so silly. But now I've now I've grown a bit of confidence. In, um, in real work, we've got... Um, a tech expert called Sophie Hebditch. She's got this um, platform called the Technicality, which addresses this exact problem of like jargon busting so that women can feel more confident to be in the room with their ideas. And I've just invested in doing a course. She's got an online course. So um, I think module one is acronyms. Great. Because that's the thing. Oh. It's all, all it is is learned. No one comes out of the womb knowing the acronyms. So therefore, if it could be learned by one, it can be learned by all. But yeah, you, you, that for the first sort of six months, I would nod my head a lot in meetings, scribble down the things I didn't understand, and then go and research them in my own time afterwards. And um, last question, what do you do for fun? Like, what's your idea of a good time as you can't go to parties? and? Are we talking in make- lockdown? Yeah, like at the moment. Oh man! Well, I, I do love, well, I love reading. So I have been enjoying a good novel. Oh, really? Yeah, I get off on that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love a good I book. Like what you read. Um, love a good. I just read Normal People, which I thought was you know nice and mindless. That was good. Um, I like cooking. I do really, really enjoy cooking, but I should do it What's more. It on the menu at Melia Towers? Well, I've gone, oh God, I've gone back to vegan. So we're, yeah. <laughs> we're all plant-based. Oh, great. So yeah. I'm mostly plant-based. I can't, I'm not as perfect as you. No, I'm not. I'm trying to do like 80%. And then I think that, because I've got fibromyalgia, um, which is an autoimmune disease. So it helps my pain to have a more plant-based natural diet, which is why I do it. Yeah. I um, at the top of this podcast I drank a pint of celery and beetroot juice. So when we had those technical problems I was worried about the gastrointestinal re- response Dear Lord. to uh, chugging that back and I thought it might interrupt the proceedings but in fact it's gone very smoothly hasn't it Buckers? There's been no rumbles in the jungle. Just before you came on no, Fleur said no, no, oh, no. we'll probably get we'll probably get all of this fixed and then I might need to go for a poo. <laughs> the thing about vegan life it keeps you regular we can't use that word because all the really attractive men who will have been listening to me and thinking that i sound intelligent witty available now they'll just be repulsed but fleur you've done the same for me because now i've had to talk about my two divorces i might as well <laughs> shut down my dating apps it's all over all, the, all those dates i've got lined up have so just fallen by the wayside delete and then go back onto itunes and get your money back and pretend you didn't log on dating app <laughs> nice <laughs> I <always> regret <laughs> Charlotte we thank you for your stories and all your positivity and inspiration if you can do it oh my god I can do it let's let's get involved in the world of tech and shake them up a bit yeah let's do it well, there needs to there needs to be more diverse characters in tech yeah, for sure it really does 
Thank you for being a super, super guest, our first guest on the new Improved Real Work podcast. I'm honoured. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's the end of this week's episode of the Real Work podcast. If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at doreal.work and on YouTube it's realwork, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how (laughs) and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. We finished recording. That was good, right? That went well. Yeah, that was really good. Thanks, Buckers. I couldn't have done it without you, though. We should um, we should put like a little ad or something at the end to promote your work as a podcast producer. What do you think? Really? Yeah. No, that's a bit awkward. It's like... It's like it's it's your stage. It's like me coming up and like taking the microphone and saying, hi, Emmy. It's a collaboration. It's right that you should get a mention. You know, you used to be on the radio. We should make a little jingle or something. (laughs) Um, Well, I have actually got something that I was having a little play around with a while back. But Mm. yeah, but don't get excited. It's nothing fancy. You got it. Play it. it. Let's have a listen. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. All right, then let me find it. Okay, here it is. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore, where the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core, then you know who to call. Producer Buckers, she knows just what to do. Producer Buckers. To make your podcast dreams come true She used to work in radio Where she was poorly paleo A dab hand at audio Find producer Buckers on Instagram At decibel underscore creative Or click the link in the show notes Come on everyone Producer, producer Buckers If you want to hire the best Producer Buckers Just put it to the test Producer Buckers Just press record And she does the rest Yeah, um, okay, good.